0: When you use the Utalk app, you develop your speaking and listening skills in a new language from day one. And with more than 140 languages, they probably have just what you're looking for. How does it work? Play games, score points, and you'll be on your way in no time. Subscribe today to get access to all 2,500 words and phrases in your chosen language. Plus, save 20% on your next subscription by visiting uta.lk. Slash speaking tongues. Happy language learning. You're listening to the Speaking Tongues Podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 72, Speaking Malayalam with Eli Kuti. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast and conversation with multilinguals. This week, my guest is Eli Kuti. And we're talking about her language of Malayalam. In this episode, we talk about how she became a language teacher overseas and how a chance encounter in the Emirates led her to learning Malayalam. She tells us about the early days of trying to find resources for Malayalam and what she was able to do when those resources fell short. We talk about the ups and downs of learning certain sounds in Malayalam and how her experience as a teacher helped her find efficient ways to learn the language. We also talk a bit about humor in the Malayalam language, how other Malayali creators are making resources for people to learn their language, and we talk about things that she loves about the culture and the food in Kerala. Big thank you to Eli Kuti for joining me all the way from Vietnam for this conversation and for all the work you do to highlight Kerala, its culture, its creators, and its language. If you enjoy this episode of Speaking Tongues, Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts or like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here with Eliza. How are you today, Eliza? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm so happy to have you here and to talk to you about your languages. And I like to start each episode with the same question, and that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak?
1: So my native language is English, and over the years I've picked up Spanish, some Japanese and Korean, and most recently, Malayalam.
0: When you were growing up, um, what languages did you experience or did you hear spoken in your home or in your your community?
1: Well, in my nuclear family, it was English. And then when my father got remarried, my stepmom's family immigrated from former Yugoslavia. So I would hear Serbian and a bit of Hungarian and Romanian whenever I would go and visit that side of the family. Um, And then, of course, growing up in Georgia, we had a large uh, Hispanic population, so there was a lot of Spanish speakers, and um, so those were the main languages that I would hear growing up.
0: Oh, wow. That's really cool. So do you think that being exposed to those kind of different, that variety of languages early growing up, did that affect you at all and maybe inspire you to want to learn more languages of your own? I
1: think that definitely helped. I also think it was because I was interested in stories and I liked learning about different people and different things. I think language was a part of that. Um, And so, yeah, it was interesting hearing the different languages. And I've mentioned before how because my dad never learned my language, um, that's something I've kind of carried with me. If I had a partner that spoke a language different from mine, I would want to learn it. yeah that's also kind
0: of an influence I had that's amazing and when you were in school and you said you grew up in Georgia um in the U.S. not Georgia the country (laughs) um what kind what languages were did you have to take when you were in school which ones were I guess compulsory or which ones were you offered
1: So the first foreign language I was exposed to was Spanish. And as far as I know in elementary school, that was the only foreign language that was offered. And then when I was in high school, you had the choice of Spanish, French, German, or a distance course in Japanese. And I think this was really innovative for my school because this was like early 2000s and they were doing video conferencing lessons with a Japanese teacher based in Japan. So I thought that was really cool. But unfortunately that class booked very quickly. Um, so, I stuck with Spanish because I was already familiar with it. And to be honest, I was quite intimidated by pronunciations of German and French at that time. So, I, I stuck with Spanish throughout high school and in college as well. I took two semesters of Spanish. And I think the fact that I could use it in the local community when I started working, my colleagues were Spanish speakers and I could practice with them. Right. The practical aspect made it more of a natural choice for me.
0: Okay. What was the leap like for you when you were um, studying language and you were, I guess you were using Spanish in the community and you were using it practically. What was that leap like from learning this language, using a language locally in your community to teaching another language um, outside of the US or, or teaching, I guess, English to people who are learning, English as a second language?
1: Well, I've always been a helper type of a person. I've always enjoyed helping people and often I would tutor at school and often my strongest subject was literature. And and like I said before, I really liked stories. I really liked reading. So I had this natural inclination toward language. And so I found myself being able to explain things quite well um, when it came to language and vocabulary. In fact, there was a foreign exchange student from Germany that moved into my neighborhood and attended my high school and I found myself working with him to tutor his English um and then when my ex was stationed in South Korea and you know, I had just finished my undergrad and I was like well how do I go to Korea um, and I found out I could speak English and I was like why not give it a try and I found out I loved it um so that's kind of what I built my career path out of was teaching English as a second language or an additional language and um you know, I've been kind of growing and developing in that field and finding other opportunities within it.
0: That's really, that sounds like a really rewarding job more than just like, I don't want to, I don't want to compare. I was about to compare and say more than just teaching like in a classroom somewhere, you know, in your, in your hometown, but it seems rewarding in a different type of way to be able to connect with people on that level and help them at the same time.
1: I think one thing I like about English um, language teaching is because you know physics and math and chemistry, these are all very important subjects, but you don't see the immediate effects of it. Whereas when you're teaching English from the beginning of the semester to the end, suddenly a student who had no confidence or no vocabulary or was not able to produce a lot of English language, suddenly is able to share with you about their life and about their family and about the things that they're interested in. And in that way, yes, it's, it's incredibly encouraging that you to see that kind of progress. But I also feel that there is a bit of a, I don't want to say dark side, but there is a bit of English language teaching that has <laughs> made me a bit disillusioned in the recent years. and A lot of that is test prep and the amount of money that goes into test prep. and the, um, instead of learning a language for the sake of communication you know English has been so commodified that it's like pay a lot of money so that you can get a better job that you can move to a better country and it becomes very high stakes so you know there there are both of those sides where you know I, I fell in love with the profession because of bonding with students and building bridges with them to help them see the world more broadly and communicate more but I also find a bit of despair in in the push for tests and results and band scores and IELTS and these types of things.
0: So who's tested, the students or the teachers or both?
1: The students. So uh, there is an international English language testing system at IELTS and the, the results of how you perform on these tests can determine which universities you can get admitted to uh, which countries you can integrate to. Mm-hmm. And of course, there is a need for English assessment. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have tests um, to determine language ability; these are important. But it seems that because of, you know, the Westernization of the world, um, we find an over reliance on this need for English has become a multi-billion dollar industry. And so, you know, when business gets in the way of education,
0: no matter what the subject,
1: you find some kind of you know, undesirable
0: side effect. Right. I never thought of it that way. And it makes sense why I have encountered so many students in other parts of the world who are really, really eager to do well on these English exams that they have to take. You know, kids mm-hmm. who are like on their way to college. Like, I never even, I never realized that. I think this is going to be, that's another conversation. I don't want to... Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's a big, big,
0: I can talk all day about this. I don't want to drag you down that. I can research for myself and then come back with an educated viewpoint on this. But I want to, I do want to ask you about Malayalam and your journey um, with this language. Like, how did that start? How did, how did you come to Malayalam and how did you come to, to, to learning it?
1: So the easy way to answer this is just saying, you know, I fell in love with someone who spoke the language, but I do think it's a bit more detailed than that. So <laughs> when I was, um, in 2015, I moved to the United Arab Emirates. And before that, my entire understanding of the country of India was basically butter chicken in Bollywood. And when I arrived in the UAE, I befriended um, someone from South India, from Nadu, and she exposed me to the differences within Indian culture. And part of that is, of course, languages. There are 22 official languages and hundreds of other languages within India. And so through her and her husband, who's from Kerala, I started learning more about that. And then in the UAE, there are many expat workers from the Indian continent. So you have so many um, Malayalis, you have Punjabis, you have many um, Bengalis. And so, I was being exposed to different linguistic groups, but I started picking up a bit about Malayalam just because of my friends' group. But then when I met Arjun, that's when I decided, oh, okay, here's someone that I feel seriously about. And like I said before, if I met a partner that spoke a language different from mine, I'd like to learn it. Mm. Um, So I started learning it like most people would. I started taking online lessons. I started taking notes. But then in Dubai, they banned Skype. So like no longer testants online. Um, so for a long time all VOIP services were blocked in the UAE. Um, so I ended up having to do self-study and I found that there was a huge lack of money and learning resources. Um, so due to my background in English language training, you know, I had a good idea about things you know related to grammar and, and rules and, and linguistics. So I found a few resources and kind of reverse engineered them to <laughs> represent something that would look like something I would teach in an English class and in the context of Malayalam. So what I wanted to do is I got inspired by this notion of study ground. You know, people have such beautiful handiwork that they put online with their highlighters and pens and lined paper. And I was like, let me do this for Malayalam. I'll make some notes, get some feedback from native speakers, maybe make a few friends. And I already knew a few other people in similar situations than me wanting to learn Malayalam because their partner was a Malayali. Mm. so I started posting it and then I realized that most of the people that were following me were actually native speakers of this language um and like I said it was just me and pen and paper and a few voiceovers and then one day the page went viral and it just <sighs> kind of grew into this thing and next thing I know you know in one month I gained 10,000 followers and I started a YouTube channel and wow. you know, I was on the news and being invited to events in the UAE held by Malialis and all of a sudden I had this platform and you know it's been three years and I just joked that it's a hobby that became self-aware you know um at at work as an academic coordinator in Hanoi I'm Eliza and then I go home and I go online and I'm illiquity and it's just (laughs) this bizarre interesting fascinating thing and going back to why I started it I just wanted to create resources for myself and others but then I realized there were many people who benefited from it, you know, people who live outside Kerala and are out of touch with their mother tongue or people who want to teach their children, but don't have access to resources.
0: And right. that
1: really motivated me to keep going and evolving the way that I present the things on my page.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes me really understand how amazing modern technology and the internet can be in this situation, because If you had wanted to, or if you found yourself in this situation 25 years ago, you would have just been out of luck, you know, like you wouldn't have had the opportunity to build something of your own, not only for yourself, but something that became a resource to so many people. And I think that I would imagine that people who are in your position, who are taking upon themselves to create resources for something that's um, (laughs) under-resourced, I would imagine that you're really doing your part to keep a language moving forward, to keep a language in motion. Um, And not just in the case of Malayalam, but in cases of other languages all over the world that resources have been lacking in. And I think that's really incredible.
1: Yeah, social media has a lot of power. And I think in a weird way, the COVID situation has shown ways for people to really be connected and, and use that power of social media more to promote, whether it's their own language or own culture, or own niche interests and find out that, oh, I'm not alone in this. There are other people who are interested in this or want to know this or need this kind of thing. And that was really the basis of you know things that I talk about is not only does it allow people to create something when a need presents itself but it also allows people to adjust the narrative of how they want to be portrayed how they want their people or culture or language to be portrayed right um, instead of waiting on the mainstream media
0: to pick it up right and that's a lot of responsibility within that too Um, absolutely yeah um so I want to ask you as you began with Malayalam what were some of the things that you needed to, I want to use the word overcome, but that makes it sound like this is a really, like like it's a problem. And I know it's not a problem, but I guess coming from being a native English speaker and um, jumping into a language that is completely different from English and has like different um, orthography and probably a different structure, et cetera. What were some of the things that you needed to I'm going to use the word overcome, even though I don't want to. (laughs) Um, Things I had to come to terms with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're learning another language, I mean, like I thought about this when I was trying to learn German last year and I was like fighting it. I was like, this Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. I don't understand this. I don't (laughs) understand this. Why is it like this? Why is it like this? And then I just said, like, it doesn't matter why it's like this. It's just if I want to do this, this is what I have to learn so exactly. you know that's <laughs> that's what I mean like what were some of those things that you just you know you had to you well, had the, to
1: do it the biggest thing that I learned was that just because your partner speaks the language that does not mean they can teach you the language even oh. though you love them very much and they love you very much you will fight over this and so it's an excellent um, in point. the early Yes, in the early days, it was extremely difficult. Like, you know, people will just say, you know, oh, just practice talking with your partner. And it's like, okay, but when you're a beginner and you still don't know how to say hello, my friend, you know, it's, it's, it can be very challenging. And especially, you know, at that time, my husband was not at all a language educator. He didn't know about grammar. He didn't know about these types of things. So when I would ask a trick um, he wouldn't know how to answer or he would know the slang, but he wouldn't know the proper words. Um, so he would teach me something but it was actually a slang version which was missing a couple of very essential syllables to understand the whole structure of the word or sentence right so that was one of the very first things that became apparent is you cannot rely on just one person your partner to teach you you really have to speak others um, who are more intimate with the language who are teachers of the language who who can describe it to you Um, I think that there's an over-reliance on this idea of just talking to people will help you learn. Just watching movies will help you learn. Yes, but no. Um, So that was one big thing. Um, The second was also forcing myself to learn the alphabet. Many people are like, I just want to learn to speak. I don't need to read and write. But learning the alphabet was especially important because there are sounds that exist in Malayalam that don't exist in English. And when you write them with English letters, for example, you have the word P-A-L-L-I, okay? So there's two different Ls in Malayalam. So if I say Kali, you know, that means lizard. But if I say Kali, that means church. So (laughs) if I don't know the difference between the two Ls, if I read it in English, I'm not going to know which one it is or how to pronounce it unless I've already known the context of the language and studied the sound. So um, for me, I think, you know, making myself learn the script, which actually doesn't take that long, despite it looking completely foreign to English. It doesn't take that long to learn. And it's important to learn. A lot of people request that I, you know, put everything in, they call it manglish. And they're like, can you just put it in manglish? And I'm like, I'll put it in manglish in one place, but I do want to keep it in Malayalam in the other because you can learn to read it and it's important to learn to read it. Right. Um, so that that was another important thing.
0: Does the alphabet have like... So you're saying there's two different L's. So yes. does the alphabet have a thing where there are two different, like for those two sounds, there are two different characters? Or is it like... Exactly. Oh, okay. So it's not like you don't have to add anything to the character to give it that extra sound, like an accent right. mark or... Right.
1: It's two completely different letters. So like there's a lot of retroflex sounds in Malayalam. So you have like the two L's la and la then you have n na and na like again, these are two separate letters. and then there's the very infamous uh, retroflex letter that's written as zh but it's pronounced R- <laughs> it's only in Dravidian languages and it's one of those where you just have to draw it out <laughs> and be like, this is where your tongue goes, this is where your teeth go and this is this is how you make the sound so yes. you know I, I remember crying because my husband would say, no, it's not la, it's ra. And I'd be like, I don't hear the difference. you know." <laughs> and, and, you know, I had to actually, and, and that's one thing that, you know, you have to sit down and draw it out and, and show like your tongue goes here for this sound and your tongue goes there for that sound. But again, since my husband's not a trained language teacher at that point, he wouldn't know how to explain it to me. He's just mm-hmm. like, well, la is la and ra is lot, you know, it's different.
0: Right, <laughs> right wow so those kind of sounds how 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 did you learn to say them did you have to like how how did you learn to say them uh
1: it was again drawing diagrams um, talking to people who speak the language um and again with my english language training i would think about how i teach pronunciation to um those learning english so for example my students in the uae they speak arabic as their first language and in arabic there is no P sound, puff. So they would approximate like, ba. So they would say like, "Miss, do you want to come to my bar tea on Friday?" Uh-huh. And so I would have to train them to do puff by putting a tissue in front of their lips and puffing it. Because when you make a ba, the tissue doesn't move. But when you make a puff, the air pushes the tissue. Oh. So it's muscle memory. And so with Malyadam, it's again, I would try to draw the diagram and show where the tongue placement is and practice it. And then, of course, working with minimal pairs where you just change one letter um, of the word to make a difference. Like I told you earlier, palit and parli, you know, practicing these, going back and forth. My tongue learns where to stay. And over time, you know, these are the things. And also, my husband is a merciless drilling coach when it comes to pronunciation. He'll just say it again. Say it again. You have to say it correctly 10 times before you can record yourself. <laughs> you <know? laughs> And in the moment, I hate it. But then when people say, wow, your pronunciation is not bad. I'm like, oh, yes, it's because my husband is a a drilling master.
0: (laughs) That's really good, though. I mean, I think that's always helpful. And I think it also it also goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, you have someone in front of you who you can not only observe him saying it. But he's mm-hmm. actually so that's his strength. Even if he can't tell you the grammar and stuff, like he can still make sure that you are <laughs> you're getting you know you're getting your pronunciation right. And I think that that's really valuable because right going back to what I was saying before, 25 years ago, you wouldn't have even had that, you know. So mm-hmm. um, whether it was someone in your life, if you had someone in your life, then yes. But I mean, if it was someone who was learning Malayalam and just, just deciding to learn it, like, you know, from a book or something or from a course, Mm -hmm. you don't have, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have someone saying like, no, do it again. You didn't do it right. You didn't do it again. Exactly. I'm a little bit talking from personal experience in the days when I tried to learn a language just from a book and from like the CDs that we had. And just like, I never knew I would, I would feel like I'm pronouncing or I'm repeating after the, the prompt. And I feel like I'm doing it correctly, but I, you know, when you don't have someone telling you, no, 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 that's not quite right. You don't really learn anything. So I'm just, again, amazed at.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like something I often say to my husband, like if he stops me and he's like, no, that's not right. It's this. I'm like, well, what did I say? You know? Cause I don't hear the mistake. I, right. I feel like when he says it to me, I'm like, no, that's what I said. And he's like, no, you didn't say, for example, like you didn't do the long A, you did the short A. And so, you know, it's, it's things like this, it, it's, it's helpful for sure, even though I get really peeved, <laughs> I have to really be patient. <laughs> for someone who's patient as a teacher, I am not patient as a learner. I think mm-hmm. it's just because I really want to do everything right the first time. And that's not
0: possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that's natural, though. I mean... I feel like we, we all have that. <laughs> so I want to ask you, um, you know, we are talking about resources and, and things like that, but I, I'm i really curious to know when you did start looking for resources to learn Malayalam, what, what did you find? I found
1: a book from 1960s supporting a Peace Corps mission from America to Kerala. And I found a linguistic study of Pali Alam done by a PhD scholar in South Kerala. <laughs> so wow. that's, what I had to, that's what I had to work with. Um, so Professor um, Dr. Moog, he is an American um, based in the States. I think he works in Texas now. Um, he designed a cor- the course book that was from the 1960s. And I think he also has a, another textbook from the 1980s that I've also been shared. And yeah it it was colloquial Malayalam spoken Malayalam and it helped with pronunciation guides but again it was a bit dated um, I had to download the audio from online somewhere and the Malayalam grammar uh, text which is a description of grammar so it's definitely not approachable for someone with no linguistic background it's not for someone who just like I feel like learning Malayalam let me find this book (laughs) Um, but because I was able to you know kind of get through the terminology and understand what was being said, that helped a lot. And um, the professor, Dr. Ravi Shankar Nayef, had his email on the book. So I was able to contact him. And through that, he sent me some newer workbooks um, to kind of have more topical knowledge and more um, usable language. So it was kind of just a mixture of Googling really hard and networking uh, with people Mm -hmm. that really helped me get started and when i started posting to instagram the things that i learned because this is a teaching strategy i use with my students if a student can teach another student a subject obviously they are able to convey that idea meaning right. they've internalized it so if i can explain it to someone else that means i can understand it and i can make it easier for someone else to approach it mm-hmm. and i think that accessibility in education is really important and that's why i continue to do the things i do because you know, if you have all this knowledge of Malayalam, but it's written in such a, you know, academic way for people who are working on PhDs or studying linguistics, but it's not for the common person who just wants to, you know, travel to Kerala or talk to their grandparents. You know, it's it's not accessible.
0: Right, right. I do think about those gaps too, also, especially with people who don't live in, you know people who have heritage in in Kerala, but people who don't live in in India or in South Asia Mm -hmm. at all. And just keeping that connection um, must be really valuable for, well, for anyone who's living outside of their ancestral homeland. It must be really valuable to maintain that connection and language is really the thing that can help. Um, So many people that I've spoken to who, people who are raising children, um, they're looking for ways to help their children to understand their language as they're living outside of their, mm-hmm. their homeland. So I know that it is it's really powerful to be able to, to have these kind of resources and, and updated resources. Have you or will you ever publish some kind of book? or workbook or something for people who want to learn? Malayalam? I am
1: in the process of working on a book, but it is one of those things where everybody says they want to write a book and then when they finally get a chance to, it's like, oh God, I don't have to write that book. <laughs> um, I was approached by a publisher last year and I have what I want to do. I have everything planned out, but I just need to to do the damn thing. Um, and so... Um, I'm hoping to do a a, a conversational beginner a a beginner's guide to conversational Mm malayalam basically a a thematic approach and that's something I would like to have done Um, unfortunately my real job that pays the bills (laughs) (laughs) has been taking a lot of my time and mental energy so I've not been able to pursue that as much as I would like so hopefully um, in the coming months um, I can try to adjust my schedule to make more time for that because there is a niche, there is a need for that. There are some books for Malayalam out there, um, but they're not as comprehensive as I'd like them to be. And they don't compare with majority language textbooks. Right. There's so many amazing books for Mandarin, Spanish, English, Hindi. But for Malayalam, it's, it's, you can probably count them on two hands, how many there are on the market and how many of them are quality even mm.
0: that. so yeah that's a that's a point I didn't even think of also like matching the quality and not just the quantity of resources is mm. really paramount um mm. I didn't get to ask you a, f- a while ago I wanted to ask you this question as I asked you about things you needed to overcome I wanted to mm. ask you um on the other hand what are some things that have been fun and easy and joyful um, through this journey as you're learning Malayalam?
1: I just think the response from the community is beyond anything that I expected. I mean, I understand that I do have a bit of privilege being a white Westerner, participating in Indian culture. The spotlight gets shined pretty bright on me, Mm -hmm. but taking apart from that, I've been able to establish a lot of meaningful friendships like when I traveled solo through Kerala in 2018 every single district I was in I could meet someone I stayed with someone I was fed by someone and it was just through the language I was able to meet these people it was through my work that I was able to you know make these really important and deep connections it wasn't just like oh I'm a fan and I follow your page it's people I still talk to today you know and call them on their birthdays and and video chat with them you know when I go to Kerala I'll I'll meet up with them again and so I think that it's incredible it's like a combination it's both the language and social media itself you know I've got to meet a lot of really neat personalities and learn from them
0: yeah I think that is probably the most joyful thing about A lot of things these days (laughs) because we don't have to stay where we are and we can talk to people on the other side of the world and I know Mm -hmm. for me that's like in doing this podcast I I told someone a few episodes ago like like when I was a little girl like this is all I wanted was to like talk to someone in Vietnam right now and (laughs) have a conversation and it's just like a it's kind of odd to like be fulfilling something that (laughs) I've wanted for my whole life, but it's not about me. This is about you. Um, (laughs) I was going to say that I really love and appreciate that you are so open and transparent about your privilege of being an American in this South Asian space and particularly being a white American participating in South Asian culture and community. So, um, I really think that's, that's wonderful that you, um, you do acknowledge that. How do you work with other, um, I guess, Malayalis who are spreading their culture? Like, how do you work with them and how do you um, help them or at all um, in terms of visibility and being seen by their community as well?
1: Well, I think that's a really important question, because when I first started, like I said, it was just about me and my language journey. And then when my page went viral and my name started popping up, it occurred to me that when people go to Instagram and look up Malayalam Malayalam content, my name is going to appear. So it might be very likely that I might be the first person they associate with Kerala. And I didn't want to be the face of Kerala. I didn't want to be the face of Malayalam. I felt that was very wrong. So instead, I decided to start incorporating other content creators and artists and other people of importance in my page. And so what I do is I partner with people who have content that I can link to an educational perspective. One example would be Anjana with, um, we did a series called Rasamula Malayalam. And so we did alphabets and food and stories behind the food. So we did two seasons, the first season was describing different dishes that create this traditional feast called sadya. And the second time, the second season we did it, we focused on plants and, and fruits and vegetables that are used as very important ingredients in Kerala food. And so I would introduce the letter, I would introduce the food, but then I would hand it over to Anjana to spread her expertise. Um, another series I did was a writing series with a calligrapher that works in Kerala, Um, I would introduce the topic and then he would show common mistakes people would make writing um, Malayalam alphabet. And um, one series that was very meaningful to me was a series last year I did called Pole, which means like us. And what it did was I basically reached out to my audience and said, if any of you are in a relationship like Arjun and I, where one is a Malayali and one is not, and you'd like to participate, I had them create a video introducing themselves, how they met. And the Malayali partner would teach the non-Malayali partner a word in Mm Malayalam. And what I wanted to do is kind of build this visibility that, you know, it's not a weird or unique thing to be in this multicultural kind of relationship. And I also wanted to focus because often we see the white Western woman marrying an Indian man, and then that series, you see that. But then you also see a North Indian woman marrying a South Indian man, or you know, people that have immigrated to the U.S. And, and married there. Like, and there was even a same-sex couple in this series. I was trying to normalize this type of relationship and show that it doesn't only happen in certain communities. It doesn't have to be, you know, of a certain gender or of a certain orientation. And I felt like that was such a wonderful series because people would start having a face to this kind of thing and be like, okay, well, now I know someone and maybe it'll normalize it because in so many parts of Kerala and in India and in a lot of places of the world, marrying outside of your own community is extremely difficult. Mm. And, you know, you risk, you know, getting cut off from your family or your your parents are worried that you'll lose your culture. You know, there's a lot of you know, issues surrounding that. But such a simple thing here, showcasing about 12 different couples and just letting them talk and introduce themselves, and interact in a very natural, loving way. I think that it, it, for me, it just felt like it was a social good. And it, it was really a great message to send to the
0: audience. I love that. That's so impactful. And I love that. And I think that it's great that you you've been able to build this community. And you've also been able to share community and fellowship with other Malayalis who are also creators um, for their culture and for their space. For anyone who's listening, um, for anyone who's listening, can you please tell us where we can find you on social media and if there are any other malayali creators that you want people to check out please let us know
1: so you can find me on instagram at ellie e-l-i dot kuti k-u-t-t-y and then also on youtube and facebook it's learn malayalam with kuti. um oh God, there's so many creators like um The food blogger I was telling you about Anjana, you can find her at Thank God I'm Fat. Um, You can find Trajwa Xavier and his calligraphy work. Um, You can find Satyan. He has a page called Easy Malayalam and he's one of the Malayalis that have in the past few, like the past year, started creating more content to teach Malayalam and I'd really like to highlight Malayali creators making educational Malayalam content. Um, Also, you have American Malayali her company is Basha Kids. She creates um, educational things for children um, of different linguistic backgrounds, whether it's summer, Magellan, Hindi, and helps connect them to their mother tongue when they're outside of it. Um, some Other creators, oh gosh, there's just so many. I should have written a list. Um, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I have so many. Like a, one thing I did when I first started Instagram is I made sure to follow Malayali creators because you learn about the pop culture you learn about the jokes you, and memes are extremely important for understanding cultural nuances you don't hey. even know like or maybe yeah. you do like it's, it's super important um and you know I just my feed is full of these really great content creators and what I love is is because of lockdown, because more people are doing things in their native language. For example, you have the Malu analysts who um, talk about social issues, um, and you also have Guide Three Rose. She, you know, talks about a lot of social causes and, and controversies, and they're doing extremely nuanced discussions in Malayalam. And it's, it's so important because when a language is relevant in pop culture. Mm. that language will remain spoken and taught and like people will want to learn it and speak it. Right.
0: Well, let me ask you a question that I like to ponder on and I always forget to ask people this, but I feel like you, you kind of brought it up. So as you're learning Malayalam and maybe you're struggling, maybe you're having a great time, depending on the day, do you remember what maybe was the first like joke that you understood or the first like pop culture reference that you understood or the first time you made somebody laugh in Malayalam? Do you remember that moment? And if you do, what was that feeling like?
1: So I, I have run this joke to the ground because I was so proud of it. <laughs> so uh, one day I made a pun in the family WhatsApp group and everyone was like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Yes, I have made it perfectly." In, in Malayalam, they call it uh, challi, uh, challi, when you make like a a lame joke, you know, like a dad joke, basically. <laughs> um, and it is a it's a it's a mix of English and Malayalam, and uh, it's <laughs> so the word the word to go is "varuga." And so, if you say uh, he didn't come, it's "vanilla." Uh, okay. And I made a joke. I said, why did the Malayali boy get strawberry ice cream? And everyone's like, why? I'm like, because chocolate vanilla. Like, (laughs) when you spell it out. And, you know, people were groaning about it, but they got it and they understood it. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then later, um, like a few months ago on Instagram, I, I, I took that joke and made a reel out of it and that reel now has like 800,000 views. Wow. <laughs> my lame <main> joke. <laughs> so, that that that's a great moment. Um I do I do yearn for the day that I can watch a comedy um and actually understand the humor in the movie um because so much wordplay and so many references are in comedy that it, it's not translatable um so I really yearn for that moment I can actually follow a comedic dialogue mm. and, and get why everyone's laughing because I'll I'll read the subtitles and I'm like I don't know why people are laughing so hard I don't get it but yeah one
0: day <laughs> it'll happen it'll I I that's the thing I think about language learning that I always I feel like I never pay attention to it but it's so funny because in English I love comedy I love mm-hmm. late night television like I love uh well saturday night live when it was funny and Mm -hmm. you know silly movies and things like that and i never consider the fact that when i consume content in another language i it's rarely comedic and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i just you know i try to you know those times when i've made someone laugh in another language have been some of the proudest moments of my life (laughs)
1: No, like, like, from an English teacher's perspective, whenever I have a student that can deliver sarcasm, I'm like, you understand English, like you, you truly, if you can deliver sarcasm, then you have done it, you get it, you know?
0: Yeah, you don't need me anymore. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So let's talk about culture for a second, because I know that you know, language doesn't exist in a vacuum and being able to experience culture is, for me, one of the most fun parts, aside from, you know, experiencing comedy, <laughs> one of the most fun parts of, of learning a language. What are some of the things that you love about Malayalam um, culture, and I guess the culture in Kerala, and what are some things that you'd want people outside of the region who may have never visited or experienced it, what are some things that you'd want them to know?
1: I think that in general Malayalis are very opinionated and they love sharing their opinions. Like when Clubhouse started, there was a joke going around in India like how do I get rid of the Malayali room? Like there's Malayali rooms everywhere because <laughs> everybody has an opinion and they want to share it and they want to know everybody else's opinion. And you know, it's such an iconic image of kerala you know you're in these small towns and there's a chai shop and you have these uncles all sitting there with newspapers debating politics you know drinking chai and i think that's that's really important it's really cool that you know you have a um, a group of people who want to know things and want to question things like they support their politicians but they also you know put them through the ringer you know something that they do something that they don't approve of so um you know it's, it's really fascinating and they just love debating and discussing ideas and you know women are also very much educated and, and hold opinions I mean it, it's it's really interesting mm. another thing about Kerala culture oh, it's one of those things where it's good but it can also be not good and it's the fact that you know coming from a western point of view you're you're very individualistic. You, you you do things on your own, you rely on yourself, and then you go into this community where everybody knows everything about you and they want to look out for you and they want to know what you're doing or where you're going or, you know, have you eaten yet and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in, in, it, it can be overwhelming sometimes, mm. but then you realize that people are looking after you. They remember things you tell them, you know, they, it's a community, like, you know, if something happened to A could be, you know, in Kerala, I think there would be, like, an outcry of people being, like, how could you do this, you know, like, you need to stand up for her, it's really lovely, because it's a community, and um, people take ownership of things like that, like, one thing I love in Malayalam is, if you and I are talking about, for example, a guy named Alex, and we're both friends with Alex, I would just say, oh, namare Alex, like, our Alex, you know, Mm. and I think that's really neat, yeah, Yeah. so... (laughs) yeah I think that and I think other languages do this too but yeah it's just it's really interesting like if if, say which Alex our Alex yeah our Alex okay you know so um,
0: it's it's neat yeah to have that kind of communal aspect when you're away from Kerala and you when you're away or you've been away for a while and then you go back to Kerala what Are some things that you look forward to experiencing and doing when you arrive?
1: Um, I look forward to the nature, you know, just going out. Like there's so many beautiful places to walk and and to go see, and you know, walking around Arjun's aunt's neighborhood. You know, there's these forest pathways and small temples, and it, it, it can be very serene. You have the backwaters, and you know, that's something that. I really enjoy doing and then of course the food I mean <laughs> you can't you can't you can't enjoy a place without enjoying its local cuisine and I'm telling you Kerala is famous because they eat beef in a country where in some places beef is illegal but mm. the thing yeah but the thing that I think is the best part of Kerala cuisine is the seafood it's it's really something else is, and the way they cook it and the way they prepare it you know they call it meals where you just get you know, you go to a, a you go to a place. They call it a hotel. It's a restaurant, but it's called a hotel. And they bring you a plate, and they just keep putting food on it. You know, and um, you just so And then you take an afternoon nap. <laughs> so, and then, you know, yeah. What are some of your favorites? Oh, so um, in Kerala, they use coconut in everything: coconut oil, sh- um, shredded coconut, dried coconut, and you know, all this. Um, so there's, like, so many savory dishes. But they also use, uh, because it's your tropical place, they use fruits and, and savory dishes. And mm. one of my favorites is um, the mango fish curry. So they take, <sighs> unripe, they take unripe mangoes and they make it into, like, a, a curry sauce. And, and they cook, um, basically, a white fish in it. And uh, it's so good. It's sour. It's spicy. It's, it's so... Um, lots of good stuff they use tamarind in it as well oh um God. that's one of my favorites
0: Mine too. and then
1: there's an there's another there's another dish um the name of the dish literally translates to like smashed fish because the way they prepare it is they um, roast it in, and they smother it in spices and they wrap it in a banana leaf and, and okay so it's like you're getting a little present you get this little wrapped up banana leaf and you open it and there's this perfectly spiced fish inside ready for you to eat and you eat with your hands which is a really big thing you know and uh, it's oh, I'm sad
0: I've never been but I heard mango and fish and tamarind and I think that's gonna have to be my first destination when I finally make it to <laughs> India because oh. What I love about what I now I've never been to India, but I've always wanted to to visit. And I think that as I've gotten older and I'm, you know, hearing more about India and I'm I'm realizing like that I could fill volumes with what I don't know about India, especially right. regionally. And that's yeah. what I think is just so magical from my eyes as someone who's never been there is like, I know that whatever I think as soon as I get there everything's going to go out the window and I think it's like so magical.
1: I'll tell you Kerala is the size of the Netherlands okay it's not a massive state at all but within that state there are at least there are 14 districts and within each district there are at least two or three dialects maybe even more of Malayalam and so the northernmost dialect is sometimes uh, incomprehensible to someone from the south and within yes and within each of these communities you have a variety of cuisine so like Malabar cuisine Calicut they have their own uh, communities and their own food they have dishes there that I had never seen in an Argent home place and you know so it's just in this tiny strip of the of Indian coast you have such a variety so imagine like when people think of India as a country I say, Try to think of India as the whole of Europe. You know, Mm -hmm. things in Germany are going to be different than things in France. Going to be different than things in Italy. Different than things in Portugal. Um, Even more so in India. Uh, It's just it's so ancient, and there's so many different places. And you know, in America, you tell someone, "I'm going to go drive 50 kilometers," and you're like, "Okay, I'll see you in an hour or so." Mm -hmm. Um, But in India, if you're going 50 kilometers, like you're going to be taking the whole day to get there. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just Oh yeah. And so, you know, it's, India is one of those things where when you say, I'm going to go to India, it's either you take a year off and go explore India or you have to just choose which part you want to see <laughs> and be very careful about how you spend your time. You know, so it's, it it is is mind-blowing, absolutely I, mind-blowing.
0: I feel like even a year would, would just, you Not just exhausted. get to scratch the surface <laughs> after a year. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh, don't put that thought in my hand. <laughs> well I just want to say thank you so much for this conversation and for talking with me and I've learned so much from you and I really could keep talking to you but I know that you know we could just go on and on and on and on and on (laughs) for the rest of the day but thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and and for for teaching us so much about Malayalam and, and about your life, and and what you've learned. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really lovely chat. I like to end each episode with a fun question. And that is, do you have any jokes? Well, you already told a joke, but (laughs) do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in Malayalam to share?
1: So I'll just go with some... Slang words some really typical slang words and uh, so if you want to say something is cool you say adipoli and it literally means like like to," which is like to hit and break but for some reason it's like awesome you know so adipoli Adi and another yeah and a newer slang with the younger generation is calling their best friend chunk i'm not sure where this came from but it's like on Instagram you'll see it where it says tag that chunk and it means like tag your best friend so like chunk <laughs> yeah chunk chunk. Oh. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where it comes from but it's 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 definitely used a lot with younger generation so <laughs> I'm just like okay I'm, I've barely been learning this language four years and I feel old already. oh no <laughs>
0: Well, you just have to start using chunk, and then you know. Fit I'm it. down with the youth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, those are really those are good ones, and thanks for sharing them. And I always like to end the episode on on a on a laugh, on a fun note, on something something really something different. Thank you again. And before I let you go, don't think about this too hard. But uh, in this situation, after we've been chatting for some time and sharing stories, in Malayalam, what would be the best way to say goodbye?
1: A simple way is just pinne karnam." See you later. Uh,
0: Pinne? Dinne? Kainam. Kainam. Okay. so later i see you later yes perfect thank you so much I like to try I like to try everything so <laughs> yes. good
1: good that's a good that's a good mindset to have
0: so I thank you again and I'll be talking to you soon
1: all right take care thank you
0: bye bye-bye